Welcome to the third episode of Season 3 of the Shoulda Backed It podcast. We were back at headquarters in Melbourne with 1,600 metre specialist Fierce Impact holding out the headline horse of the spring, Russian Camelot, to win the Group 1 Maccabi Diva Stakes. Meanwhile at Rose Hill, Rothfire was a dominant winner over the highly fancied Farnham in the run to the Rose. Joining me as always to talk through a big day of racing is the Herald Sun's leading tipster, Chris Venuccio. Welcome, Big V. It was some great racing yesterday all across the country, but a tough one for punters. How'd you fare? Hello, Phil. Yeah, it was a a good day of racing. It was tough for punters. It was tough for me as well. It was, yeah, I was uh, a day I I want to forget, and but we'll we'll have a look at it, and then hopefully in the next week or two we can get back on the and get some winners. Well, mate, I want to launch straight into my shoulder backed it for the weekend because it was in the the Maccabi Diva Stakes, and that was fierce impact. Look, we knew it was a trip specialist. Look, it had the market support, ended up starting favourite, and really looked like the one horse in that race that was primed to win it. So, um, look, I didn't take the $4 because it was such a star-studded field, but ultimately it was a pretty easy watch for anyone that did back Fierce Impact. Yeah, I think uh, with what happened to Gadding as well in the race, it, it really did make it tough for a lot of those horses back in the field, particularly Russian Camelot. I think that was... Um, he was very gallant, Russian Camelot, and the you know the eye catcher and the one to follow from the race. But fierce impact is some great Melbourne form, and I had him on top in this race only because I I thought Russian Camelot would get back, need the run, and just look better heading into a Cox Plate. But I reckon if you didn't have that that horse break down, I you know it could have been a different result. Certainly loomed to win on the turn, Russian Camelot, but did have to do that little bit of extra work that I probably didn't want to, um, as you say, with the, with the incident that occurred, but also needed to go about four wide around the turn as well, which which didn't help. But I tell you what, if you are a Russian Camelot fan, and there there are plenty of those, especially this morning on the Sunday after the race, uh, yeah, you, you would be disappointed with its return and really looks on track to have a to have a massive spring and be the big player in the spring. And I thought Master of Wine was much improved. I think that's what you wanted to see because, you know, he, he is a talented horse and in his last trial before his first up run, he was really tardy out of the barriers. First up, inconclusive, so it was good to see. He looks like he's back on track as well. Well, Master of Wine was my uh, horse that I had a bet on in the race and really just at the price. You were getting sort of 11 or $12 about... A horse that really uh, is a very high quality and looks to be a big player also in, in the spring. But what I was most disappointed about, I thought it nabbed the place, but Sosie Bond on the inside has somehow managed to get the bob in because I'm sure Master of Wine had its uh, nose in front with about five metres to go. So I was a little bit disappointed there because it would have been nice to pick up, I think, about $3.50 to $4 on the place as well with Master of Wine. But if you are following it going into the spring, I think you've got... Uh, yeah, pretty good horse to, to follow there. Uh, were there any other horses in the race that really caught your eye, Big V? There's nothing really else came from the back. I know we had Sosie Bond finish third, as we discussed, and, and uh, obviously Master of Wine, but not, not too much else coming from behind. No, not too much. I mean, I don't know about Perfect Jewel. I was expecting a little bit better, but 12 up to 1,600 is always pretty tough, so maybe have a look at another race for her and... And, I, and I, the other thing about this race as well is I, that I wasn't sure about was this predicted rain we were supposed to get. We were supposed to get 35 mils on Saturday and it, 
<laughs> it never didn't come until about 10 p.m., 11 p.m. at night. So I think that's another thing that really messed with the punters' minds as well because you're waiting for this rain to come during the day. And I was looking at the radar Friday night and there's this big, nasty rain band that was coming across Melbourne and particularly over Port Phillip Bay. But I woke up Saturday morning and it was pretty much dry outside. Well, mate, I can assure you it did hit... Uh, parts of Melbourne, just not the parts that were uh, at Flemington, I believe, because it certainly came over where I am. And I, I know the Mornington Peninsula, for instance, got a big hit. So that's why it's hard to sort of uh, make an assessment a few days out, not knowing whether you're going to get 35 mil or, as we got, two or three mil. So that can make a massive difference in who you're going to be uh, betting on on the day. So, yeah, you've got to be a meteorologist uh, and, a, and a form analyst to uh, work these sort of things out. And because of that rain, I, I didn't mind having a bit of rain coming because I thought it might have been good for Savitiano, which was my best bet for the day. And, geez, she was very disappointing. I, in the run, you couldn't have enough on her because she looked like she was just travelling so comfortably. You know, at the 400-metre mark, she still hadn't been let go. And when she was asked for an effort, she just had none. And I don't know whether maybe because it was a... You know, a firm track at Flemington, I don't think that's an excuse because I think if you can't handle a firm track, you're not a, a good enough horse. But I thought maybe, you know, a bit of given the ground, I thought she looked like a standout, but she was disappointing. Yeah, she really was. And I think I mentioned to you yesterday that I just didn't like her at the price. I, I don't know what it was. I, I'm a big fan of the horse generally. And as you've said before in the podcast, when you get it over that 1,300 to 1,400 metre range, it really, you know, it's a group one standard horse at that at that sort of uh, distance range. But, yeah, it's just something about yesterday. I wasn't feeling the vibe of Savitiano, so I stayed away personally. But you'd be disappointed as a as a gambler on that at $2.50 because it was kind of gone, almost the first gone. And after you say, travelling beautifully in the run. So, um, yeah, disappointing that one for favourite backers. But I think throughout the day, a disappointing day for favourite backers, really, with... A lot of the favourites and a lot of the fancies moving into the spring not quite getting the job done. Speaking of which, and speaking of making it rain, because this was just about my only win for the day, your should have backed it for the weekend was up in Sydney in the run for the Rose, um, and it was uh, Rothfire who uh, stormed past Farnham and and a few others actually in that race to to collect a really nice win on the way to an Everest where it has a slot. In hindsight, yeah, of course, probably should have been with Rothfire. I'm, I'm a big fan of the horse. I was on in the JJ Atkins. But I just thought in this up against Farnham, you're not sure what you're going to expect with him because he'd been trialling so well. But uh, I don't know, Hugh Bowman looked like he was in a rush to get to somewhere after the race because <laughs> you, you, you didn't expect Farnham to go that fast and really just set it up for Rothfire. And it, it sort of, he was like the Geetra. Of the weekend. Yeah, exactly. You know, the week before, Nature Strip, you know, that first up run, just that conditioning and Geetra running over him. And the this price was, discrepancy and the price, there. yeah. It was exactly the and, same. That's kind of why I got on Rothfire myself. It just, at $5.50, $6, I thought, gee, that's overs in this race for sure. And I, yeah, and I just, because I don't like betting into races where you only get, you don't get the third dividend. When, you, when you're backing against a real short favourite like Farnham. But you just look at the rest of the field, like I think North Pacific dropping back from 13 to 1,200 wasn't going to suit. Uh, and I don't think Pelts are, you know, Marmoragan and King's Legacy are up to Rothfire's level at 1,200. 
And I just think Ross Fire is going to be really hard to beat in the Golden Rose, although I do expect North Pacific to really bounce off this run and, and be the main, main challenger. Yeah, look, I wouldn't be jumping off anything that came in behind it. It wasn't an oddly run race, and I, we might touch on it now. We were going to discuss it later, but what did you what did you make of Hugh Bowman's ride and the scorching sort of sectionals early? I think we saw. I was watching the screen. I was having a look, wondering what is he doing, and I could I saw ten point three pop up at one point. I think ten point six, and we hadn't even got to the uh, six hundred meter point. Well, no doubt he went too fast, and was not going to sustain it. I think. We'll know more next uh, if Hugh Bowman still has the ride on Farnham because, you know, was he following the instructions? Obviously, you know, with Farnham, he's, he's a fast horse. I mean, the instructions were to lead at a, at a good tempo. He might have overdone it. And I think the worry is is whether that's really has busted Farnham's campaign, you know, so early because, you know, it's just whether the horse can recover from that. But three-year-olds... I think are more uh, are better able to recover from these tough runs than you are as a four or five year old. So we'll see next start. But obviously he went too fast and really just set it up for something to beat him. But I couldn't be on him next start over fourteen hundred against Rothfire in North Pacific. Yeah, I guess it was fresh, and I know Hugh Bowman was called called to the stewards' room following the race and mentioned that he just gave it a bit of a squeeze out of the barriers, and he thought that sort of led it alight. And maybe it was just fresh, and it really wanted to run hard, and Hugh had some trouble holding it. But, yeah, you, you definitely want to have another look after that, after, um, gee, you, you'd love you'd love for it to set up, because I think it went about you know, eight to 12 lengths quicker than sort of standard early. You know, that's just way too much. And it was always going to get run down. Being on Rothfire, sitting there second, just cruising, I, I was uh, very confident in the running as a result of that. But you're right, we'll see. We'll know more what Gay, Gay thought of it and, uh, and Adrian uh, what thought of it after uh, after we see who gets on it next time, I suppose. But uh, I suspect Hugh will retain the ride, um, although we've, yeah. we've, seen, we've seen jockeys uh, come and go on a lot of horses in time. Looking at the Golden Rose market, I think Rothfire is the $2.60 favourite, but I think that's a bit too short for me at the moment because I, although I've, I've got him on top and I'll be keen to be on him, I think there should be some money coming from for North Pacific when the fields come out. And even Ollie Kirk, I mean, that was, a good, that was a good performance as well. So I think there's going to be some money coming on other horses. And I think Rothfire, you know, I would prefer to get at least $3 plus for him and be on him for the Golden Rose. Yeah, I think the market overreacted to that run. I think given what we saw, yeah. I think it overreacted big time and installed Rothfire as a clear favourite, as you say, around that $2.60 mark. But it put horses like Farnham out to $8. Now, I'd be much more comfortable getting on Farnham next start at $8 than I would be Rothfire at $2.50. So, you know, you've got to have a look at the odds when you market are making these sorts of bets and I do think uh, that people overreacted and the market overreacted to that particular race because Farnham was never given a chance. No horse can win doing what it tried to do yesterday. Yeah, I'll, I see your point there, but I'll disagree with you about Farnham. I, I couldn't get on him next start in the Golden Rose. I'll be prepared to take him on. And, and you know, I, I reckon it'd be, I wouldn't mind seeing some money come for him as well. If it means the price of Rothfire coming out, I mean, I, I've got him and... North Pacific, I think they're the two, two you know, 
base your bet, bets around the Golden Rose. Well, we'll move um, on from our shoulda backed it onto our shoulda sacked it for the weekend, and I'll I'll start with mine, which was Overlord in race five at Rose Hill, won by a really impressive Waller horse, Moonga. But gee, this horse does a lot wrong in a race. Uh, it, it's performed pretty well, finishing second, third, and fourth in its you know previous sort of five starts, but. I think they tried everything with this horse. They tried the blindfold and the barriers, and it still managed to miss the kick by a couple lengths. Um, it was jumping at shadows mid-race. I think it sort of lost about four lengths just jumping at shadows. And yeah, then did it didn't want to take a run in the straight either. Yeah, it was quite odd. Um, but I, I did listen to Chris Waller after the race because he obviously had the winner as well. And it sounds like the Colt may have earned itself uh, an appointment at the vet <laughs> as a result of that run yeah. because it just does everything wrong in running. And... Uh, it sounds like uh, there needs to be some uh, adjustments made to its um, tackle. Yeah, no doubt the horse has got some talent, but uh, I think he gets too far back in his races, and that's the big problem with him as well. And yeah, I saw you know the antics during the race, and yeah, that yeah that, that's costly because you you've got to exert to try and get yourself back into the race. But the winner looked impressive and going to be tough to beat. In you know the spring championship and even I think the gloaming mm. next start, so I think you'd want to be on the winner. Yeah, look at it. I'm not preempting anything here, but went definitely was one of my um, horses to follow from our horses to follow segment because yeah, it's, it's come up through the grades. It's now performed at you know at, at, in in the city and really that was about as impressive as you could expect from a young horse. So yeah, I'll be following it moving forward, and as I'm sure a lot of people will be because yeah, Moonga very uh, very impressive. But in terms of your should have sacked it, uh, we stay at Rose Hill, and it was a special reward. Who uh, I thought you were being a little bit harsh on. It did get sort of boxed in there, um, one back on the fence, but uh, you, you weren't happy with it, run? No, I, I'm going to take it from a, a different angle because I, I thought it was a sound bet that I had. But if I knew that the horse was going to be from barrier six on the rail where you couldn't win at all, at Rose Hill. Now, by race seven, if I knew that's where he was going to be positioned, I wouldn't have backed the horse because, <laughs> you know, Nash has been in outstanding form, but I think this was a one of his poor rides. You know, he, he's drawn outside Wild Planet and Fun Stays, two main dangers, and he finds himself on the rail. But not only on the rail, but he's behind a $21 shot, which, mm. which was always going to you know, fall back into him. And you look at the stewards report and he's been held up from about the, you know, 300 to the 150. And it's proved costly. I expected him to be positioned, if not leading off the rail, but even if he's handed up to Fender and Riodini, at least being the one, one spot. So he can just peel out into the better part of the track where wild planet ended up winning the race. And, yeah, I just thought it was a you know, disappointing ride, from particularly from a jockey who's really been informed. Yeah, well, it never looked like it was going to win from that position. It never looked like it could get out. The The field was quite bunched, and uh, it did, yeah, spend a good couple hundred metres in the straight there trying to get out, and if you were on it, it would have been a very frustrating watch. Personally, I was on Funstar in that race, and at about the time, Special Reward was having its struggles. It, it had jumped out and almost got clear of the field, and I thought, how far? But... It sort of hasn't come back at the same level as we thought it would. Funstar and a, a couple others, I think, are in that in that boat too. But what did you think of Funstar? Well, I was 
keen to take on Farnstar. I thought 13 might be too short for her. I don't know about her as an Epsom chance yet. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think I don't think she's up to the level that she was 12 months ago. But you know, you know we shall see. I think maybe you know maybe she might need another run before the Epsom, but she probably might go straight to that race next start. Mm. Well, I don't know about you, Big V, but yesterday was a day of seconds and thirds for me, placings. Like, I couldn't, I cracked the winner with Rothfire, but that was about it. And I think I had six or seven bets, and they all finished second or third. And it was a little bit frustrating because um, I am an on the nose kind of gambler, unlike yourself. He likes to sort of make sure they're each way when they're having a bet. But, gee, uh, one of the horses that I backed that didn't finish second or third was Fasica. A really disappointing run, I thought, up there in Sydney. And, you know, we saw a few potential, I guess, Everest runners just fall short yesterday, and I wouldn't put Fasica in the other horse's boat, so you got sort of horses like Tefane, Mars Crusader, um, even Alligator Blood was specked as being potential Everest starter as well, but, gee, they, a few of them fell short, but not quite like Fasica, who I don't even know if it finished in the top sort of seven by the end. No, it finished eighth, so just missed out on your on that top seven. But there's a lot of hype on the horse coming to the race, and... Look, it's a good horse, but I think in this field, $2.40, I mean, it was well back late. It was very short, and even in the all-in market on the Monday, there were punters, and you can see it on social media, there are people just waiting at their computers on a Monday <laughs> to get these all-in prices, and you know, it was $3 into two fifty on a Monday without knowing what the final field was, and you know, and. Amazingly, I think all 19 horses that were nominated ended up accepting for the race. So it was a really hot field. It was a good field, uh, there was, yeah. There was a couple of scratchings. But by Saturday morning, you can get 310 for Fasica. And I just expected her price to ease out during the day. I was, I was thinking you might have got 350 or even 370 closer to start time. But, yeah, the money really came for her late and she was... Her starting price was two forty, and I was nearly going to get on her to get out. But then I just thought she was too short. You know, there was a lot of speed in this race. She wasn't going to get it her own way. And, you know, I think a lot of punters would have got burned. Yeah, well, I woke up Saturday morning and had a look, and it was actually out at $3.40, which I thought was a great odds because, as you say, you, could, you couldn't get anywhere near that earlier in the week. And at the end, its starting price was about where it opened as well. So... I'm not sure why it had that little drift early in the morning, but it certainly uh, wasn't that when the when they jumped uh, in that race. So, I mean, there was, as you say, some really good horses in that field. Um, even looking beyond the winner, beyond her, you had horses like Avalon, Subpoenaed, uh, Sweet Deal, even Flit. I mean, a couple of these horses finished in behind for Seeker, but it was a really hot field, as you say. So, yeah, I think a decent lesson there is around not taking that $2.40. I know it had a, a really good end to its campaign last time, but that's, that's pretty short, and I'm pretty disappointed in myself that I, I got as heavily involved as I did. But that horse was on track for potentially an Everest slot and won't be going there now, I wouldn't have thought, after that effort. No, I don't think so. And just on the Everest, I think that race is really going to fall away. I just don't know, because we've had a lot of horses retire since last year's race, I just don't know where this next wave is coming from. And, you know, I just think apart from the – there's four or four runners already at the moment. 
I think uh, three of them away from those three. I don't know where the where the winner is coming from. So I think the the Everest might be, you know, light on this year. Yeah. So the the four in it at the moment are obviously Nature Strip, Geetras, Classic Legend, and Rothfire. So I mean, they're four exceptionally good horses but yeah it's hard to know where those other eight slots are going to go because as we said yesterday you have horses like Tofane, Mask Crusader who were uh you know in in the in the running but didn't probably quite go as well as their connections had hoped they would even though they performed quite well and now we see Alligator Blood probably more interested in a a Golden Rose so uh Golden Eagle Golden Eagle sorry Uh, we were talking about the Golden Rose earlier weren't we just on that too, what, what did you make of Alligator, Alligator Blood's return? I, I thought it was a really strong return. It, you know, it had a big weight, I think 62 and a half. It had a, also had a tough draw and over 1,100 was always going to be up against it first up. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd say that they're pretty happy with that return. It really flew home. Yeah, I wouldn't be jumping off Alligator Blood yet, although you'd be disappointed if not to get the win. I mean, if you, I mean that's the way racing goes. I mean, sometimes you look at a at a race and you think, well, if this horse doesn't beat this field, then how can it win a, a Golden Eagle or whatnot? But that's not how racing happens sometimes. You can yeah. you can lose a race against opposition that you shouldn't be losing to based on your talent. But then it happens and you can go on and, and still go on and win a Group 1 or or these type of big races as well. So I wouldn't be jumping off. Oh, and you, you wouldn't doubt a horse like, horse like Alligator Blood anyway. I mean, it's... Efforts do stack up pretty well, I would have thought, over the time of its career. So the way it came home, I, if you are a fan of the horse, I wouldn't be jumping off. And maybe that just means we'll get a slightly better price next time, Big V, which is always a good thing for the punters. But, but sometimes you do wonder why horses need to start first up at a distance that is unsuitable. And with the weight that's, you know, 61 kilos or, you know, even 62, 63, which you see sometimes... Um, I just sometimes I just don't think you get. I think the the risks are a lot greater than what the rewards are. I just you know, I would have preferred to see Alligator Blood resume in a twelve hundred meter race against better quality opposition, and where it's probably might even be a better chance of winning. But what were the risks there, Big V? I mean, you know, just because it didn't win, that the the owners and the trainer might have been quite happy with that knowing that they're almost going into it like a, you know, a, a trial almost. Yeah, yeah, I see your point. I mean, I, I just spoke with a horse like with Alligator Blood where you've had you've had that, you know, six, seven win record. It's sort of like a race like this sort of, I don't know, Just I just think it impacts your record, your, your record book. Although it probably doesn't matter for a gal. Yeah, know? I was going to say, they're not they're not going to be worried about that. They'll be focused heavily on their grand final. And I think yeah. the reason they might have started at 1100 is that the Everest still was a, a, a glimmer of a possibility for the horse. So probably just wanted to give it a, a run over 1100 to see how it went. And I think they learnt a little bit from that run that they have now focused on the Golden Eagle uh, as their, their priority, and I think you'll find it's uh, ready to go and absolutely prime for that race, which is their, obviously their their grand final for the horses prep. So yeah. I get your point, Big V, but ultimately uh, I think the trainer and, and the owners would have mapped out a path that they're they're comfortable with. And well, yeah, well if you if you're looking for an Everest slot, you're not going to get it running in a 1100 meter race in Brisbane. I mean, <laughs> if you want an Everest slot, you go to Sydney and you run in a, a Group Two sprint race. 
But they are. It is alligator blood. Every it's a, you know it was the horse, the, the spruce horse of the autumn and and last spring as well. I mean it's a it's a horse that already has the name. It had didn't have as much to prove I think as a, a number of the other horses looking for slots. Yeah, no, I think I I accept that. But I think with what's been happening, particularly with his owner, I think um, a lot. I reckon a lot of these Everest slot holders would be put off by that, and I think it's up to now the trainer to really showcase the horse and make him just make him the type of horse that's too good to ignore for an Everest. And and I just think at the moment slot holders are, will be happy to to look past alligator blood. I don't think he's done anything to really put himself back on the Everest radar. Well, I think if you've got a slot and you uh, don't have Nature Strip or Geetra in it at the moment, you're pretty nervous. But anyway, what I'm going to do now, Big V, I want to get your sort of opinion now, and I'm going to ask you this question every week from now on because I want to see how it develops over time. Because we've got spring coming up. We're really hitting into the, the main Group 1 races now. We've got you know some big races coming up. So we've got, obviously, the Everest. We've just talked about Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate, Melbourne Cup. Of course, there's more. But I want to focus on those four races, and I want you to give want you to give me every week your your leading horse in each of those races at this point. So um, I just want the horse's name, a little explanation why perhaps you've chosen that horse, and uh, we'll move through them quickly. But firstly, right now, who are you backing in the Everest? The Everest. I'm going to stick with Nature Strip for the time being. It looks three dollars fifty is a good price. I think he'll really improve next start. But I think the one that might be, could be the safe each way go, could be Rothfire. All right, but I'm going to give, I'm going to put this down as Nature Strip Big V. That's your number one at the moment. All right, Caulfield Cup. Caulfield Cup. Uh, this is a tough one. I'm going to go with Master of Wine, considering that I think Russian Camelot main target might be the Cox Plate. Fair enough, Cox Plate. Speaking of, perfect segue. Cox Plate, I'll go with Russian Camelot. I thought that was a big run on Saturday. You know, if, if, if Russian Camelot won that race, you would have say he's going to be hard to beat in every other race that he runs in the spring. <laughs> he's nearly done it, and I just think he'll just get better and better with each start. Do you know what price we're getting Russian Camelot at the moment for the Cox Plate? At, at the moment, he's $5. Oh, yeah. The only thing, the only thing I could see... That could probably beat it. Is it is an international comes. And finally, uh, the Melbourne Cup. Who have we got on top at the moment, Big V? Oh, geez, this is really tough. Well, you can um, change it every week, Big V. But right, right at this stage, if you had to had to put your your five dollars each way on, mate. Look, excluding the the internationals, I'll go with Surprise Baby. You were happy. You were happy with its return last week. Yeah, I think it was it was good enough. Sixteen hundred. I want to see it improve next start. Interesting that I think I might have heard that it could even go to the Bart Cummings again. Yeah, no, I had heard that as well. I, I think you even mentioned that in the last week in the podcast yeah. that that was an option for it. And I, I guess it has to get its uh, get itself into the race. I'm not sure where it's sort of uh, in the, the the weight. I know they came out during the oh, week. Yeah. I think it would be in the race. I just think it's just the trainer looking for a suitable next start. For the horse, so I think I'm listening to other radio stations. I think he's keen to not run at Caulfield, so he's got to look at races either at the Valley or Flemington. So I think we'll know more next start with Surprise Baby. 
All right, Big V. Well, thanks for that. We've got our four horses uh, in those races. Nature Strip in the Everest, Master of Wine, Caulfield Cup, Russian Camelot, Cox Plate, and Melbourne Cup for the surprise baby. So we'll, we'll, I'll check in with you on those uh, as we go. Now, um, we've discussed a few horses to follow. Obviously, Russian Camelot's the most obvious one in history. Uh, Marunga, as we discussed in that race up at Rose Hill in race five, really looks like a horse worth following. There was a couple others around the country, though, Big V, and one of them was in the last at Morfittville. It absolutely flew home, instant celebrity. I I know it was only a benchmark 72, but I thought that finished off like a proper horse. What were your thoughts? Yeah, that was a big win, just one from nowhere again. And I think a lot of that has had to do with, you know, being first up, drawn wide as well. I think she's got the ability to be closer in the run if she draws well. And I'll be keen to be on her even in the 1,000 guineas prelude, provided she draws a good barrier, because she can settle closer in the run. If she draws wide, I think the temptation will be to be back in the field and it's really tough to make up ground at Caulfield on most days. And I learned my lesson last year in the 1,000 guineas prelude back in the back marker that never looked like winning. Yeah. So if she draws well next start, I'll be on. Otherwise, I'll just wait until the 1,000 guineas. Yeah, it looked like it actually ran into a bit of trouble even yesterday. It got checked and had to felt, had to pick the gap and get through it. And, it, and when, once it got through, it flew. But... Yeah, you're always worried with those back markers, trying to find uh, the gaps. And, you know, it's a low percentage play generally, the back marker. But, oh, gee, that horse did really yeah. come home well. Well, no. I don't think she's a back marker naturally. I just think the wide barrier first up. I think she does have the ability to, you know, be on speed. And, you know, I think by the time you get to the grand final, the 1,000 guineas, that's where you'll see her. I just think next start, it all comes down to what barrier she draws. Well, speaking of horses, it did come home nicely as well as uh, Instant Celebrity. We had uh, Cherry Tortoni, I know a horse that you quite like, uh, come have a return to Flemington yesterday, and I thought it ran a really nice third. So I'm happy to take a look at where it goes next because I think it's uh, probably coming of age and ready to have a really good prep as well. Yeah, and I think a couple of... Another horse I'd want to follow as well is... When Russian Camelot's the obvious we've mentioned... But I think Windstorm, in a similar type race, I think might be ready to win. 1,100 to 14 was always tough. But I think um, next start, if she stays at 1,400 in a similar grade, hard to beat. Well, I, I might be contradicting myself here, but I would have liked to see it go a little bit further back yesterday. It sort of settled... Uh, about midfield and that's not quite where I'm used to it settling and it didn't quite have that turn of foot that you usually expect from Windstorm. I would have liked if they had settled back and I think the eventual winner actually came flying down from, from the back of the field. So, yeah, I quite liked the, the run of Windstorm in that race and likewise Arcadia Queen uh, in, the, in the race that Sabatiano didn't quite get the job done in. I thought it was a, a really good finish to the race as well so it's probably one to, to keep keep an eye on. And I'll note that windstorm is a gelding, by the way. What did I call it? Oh, I called it a sheep. Oh. <laughs> All right. You played it safe and called it a nit. It, yeah, no, I did. I, <laughs> I wasn't willing to uh, have a crack at that big V, but, but, but nice work. Um, so is that all, all the horses that you've got to follow there, Big V, or are there any others that stand out? Because I think we've gone through sort of seven or eight there, so that's plenty to keep us interested. No, I think that's pretty much it for the horses to follow. 
Excellent. So now we're going to move on to our new segment, which is our uh, mug's guide to sports betting. And last week we were discussing a few of the AFL anomalies, I guess with the fixture and short backups and the like. And, yeah, you were right. Western Bulldogs did manage to get the job done against West Coast, as we sort of foreshadowed, even albeit by two points. But we'll take what we can get, Big V. You had a couple of other thoughts, though. You mentioned uh, you were interested in the live betting that was going on between Carlton and Sydney recently, where I believe Carlton came back from something like seven goals down to, to eventually win that match. Yeah, I was, uh, I was following this game with interest because in, in the footy tipping comp, I needed to make up some ground. So I <laughs> went with a chance and went with Sydney. And so I went with a few outsiders this round, and Sydney was the first one of them. I, I think Sydney was the last game of last round going into round 17. But, you know, when they kicked the first seven goals, I was pretty comfortable with myself. And I looked at the odds, and it was a dollar five at that point. And I think the bookies just nearly conceding it was game over. But then Carlton finally got going. They kicked four goals before half time, And I just – I was a little bit uncomfortable. I thought the momentum was back with Carlton, and they'll dominate the inside 50s clearances, centre clearances. And I think if you were live betting that you would have gone with the Blues at half-time. You know, they've gone from favourites before the game and they're the outsiders. And I did take a grab of um, what price they were at the time. And I think at half-time, Sydney was $1.30 at that point. So Sydney, Carlton might have been, you know, you'd think they'd be about two seventy at that point. And I would have gone with Carlton because... They just look like they were well on top of the Swans. Yeah, and Carlton have been one of those sort of weird teams this year. I think they've, there's been big fluctuations in their games, uh, coming back from six goals and sometimes giving up big leads as well. So I think if you're alive, better. And that's not an area I've dabbled in, Big V, but I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of listeners that have. There's probably a little bit of money to have been made on Carlton matches this year with the, with the massive fluctuations. and. I just noticed where we're obviously speaking on the Sunday that they've just been done by Adelaide. So hopefully you um, you stuck fat with your strategy and, and tipped Adelaide this week. But, uh, yeah, no, it was a good observation. And, yeah, there really is a good bit of margin in those live bettings, I think. Yeah, and it, sometimes it is can be very extreme as well because later on in that game, Colton got to within a goal and they were still paying $2.15. Whereas from the first bounce, if Sydney kicking, if Sydney kicked the first goal... Carlton still would have been favourites because they started the match favourites. But because during the course of the game, they became the outsiders, when they got to within a goal margin, they were still the outsiders. But the momentum was with them. And I was, I was just, as I said, I was uncomfortable after tipping Sydney because I just thought, you know, the Blues are going to win this game. And I thought that, even thought that at half time. Yeah, well, um, no, that's a good observation, Big V. Now, another thing I wanted to talk about. It's another area of betting um, that I know you've dabbled with in the past, Big V, so I'm keen to get your thoughts as well. But we're back for another big season of the EPL. Uh, it only feels like yesterday your mob, Aston Villa, survived the relegation battle, Big V, but uh, they're right back into it. And I'm, I'm keen to get your thoughts about how you would approach, I guess, so- soccer betting, but in particular, EPL. I'll, I'll give you my couple of thoughts and then maybe you can jump in but I guess the number one thing and it's quite an obvious one is that I tend to pick the home team uh, look it might seem obvious but there there is a lot of statistics that back this up I think something like two thirds of home winners are from the home team 
Uh, and look, it might be a little bit less dramatic this year because we don't have crowds, and that obviously adds to that advantage. But I do think if you stick with a home team, you're, you're pretty safe in the EPL. Um, and you can try to add a little bit of value, particularly with some of those bigger teams like Liverpool and Man City. They often destroy teams at home. So if you want to pick them to win by two or three goals, I think, or more, I think that's a decent option when those sort of bigger teams are playing at home. But I guess one of the challenges with soccer betting and EPL is that uh, there are three likely options, Big V. So we've got the draw thrown in there, which doesn't help. So there's a little strategy you use, a little bet type that you like called the draw no bet, um, which is a great one, I think, for multis. But do you want to just explain that one to us, Big V? Well, I think it's pretty much um, you know, simply if the game is a draw, you get a refund on your bet. So it, it sort of makes it into a, a head-to-head game. But you know, if it's a draw, you get, you're getting your money back. Whereas if you're having a bet in the AFL, if it's a draw, you, you lose your bet because a draw is a betting option um, as well. But if you go with a draw, no bet, specific bet option it does make it more into a 50-50 contest. How does that work in a multi, though, if you're getting your money back? Well, I reckon in a multi, you just it'd just be um, the leg is void. So if you have a four-leg multi, then that, don't worry about that leg. You just go with the other three legs. Oh, so it just nullifies that, that whole leg. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, I do like that one because it really takes out that the awkwardness of like a you know a late goal or something that turns it into a draw and then you, you've done all your dosh, yes. you know, backing the home yeah. team or whatever. So, um, you yeah. know, that's a good one to include. And I've seen and you, you, you utilise that. If you, um, the other thing is um, if you do go with that option, if your team falls behind a goal, you instead of needing two goals for you to, to win and, you know, get something out of it, you, you just need your team to just score one goal, turn it into a draw, and at least you're getting your refund. Mm. Well, that's uh, a little bit of a scent for the EPL. Now, Big V, I, I noticed that Astonville is a, a very good price for the title. You'll be all over that. $501, I believe, you can get at the moment. So I imagine you'll be just unloading on that. Yeah, well, if Leicester can do it, why not Aston Villa? But, look, I think, again, the goal would be just to stay stay up. It'd be good. It's good that um, that our top player is still there. It'll be good to see, but they didn't do as many changes in this off season. But I think they got a, a good striker from the championships. I think his name Ollie Watkins. So I think their problem last year was that they didn't score enough goals, and and I think they they need some more options up in attack. They did score a couple of vital goals, you know, late in the season where they needed to survive. So yeah, I think that's just one of their areas they need to improve. Scoring goals is very important. That's a good pick-up, Big V, so I'm glad they've managed to uh, get themselves some strikers. How have you been going in lockdown, Big V? We're currently sort of week six of about 12, stage four. So how are you keeping, mate? You, um, you know, the racing and the footy's keeping you honest and keeping you interested? Well, actually, I'm getting a bit of footy fatigue at the moment. It's on every day. Oh. I understand why we're going to have the, the footy frenzy, but oh, I the, the games have been pretty average quality. I mean, we particularly we see with the West Coast. I know they got the win over St Kilda, and that was um, and I reckon that was another good bet. They were the outsiders. I went with them, but you just see, you know, with uh, McGovern getting a hamstring injury. I mean, when you play all these games within close proximity in four day, five day breaks, you're getting injuries, and you're getting your best players. Sideline, so I can't see this type of 
thing, the footy frenzy, being permanent. It really has hurt teams. It's really hurt teams that have had to back up multiple times, hasn't it? And uh, Look, to be honest, mate, it's a minor miracle the season's got this far, so I think we'll just take that as a win. But I do get your point that 20 days of footy might be too much in a row. I never thought I'd hear myself saying that, but, yeah, Yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah, there's been talk, why can't we do it? You know, next season or in 2022, and have you know 28 round season, and we can play more games midweek and do these footy frenzies. But it'll impact on the quality of the of the game, and we're going to see more injuries. and And I reckon for supporters, it'll just be a lot of burnout. And yeah. when we when, and when we are out of lockdown, we won't be watching you know the footy midweek. We won't be stuck at home with only the footy to watch. You know, we'll be back out socialising and trying to have a good time as well. Mum, you'll be on the golf course every day just trying to get that handicap down. I know that, Big V. Looking forward to a big yeah. summer of golf, I think. But um, that's all we've got time for on the Should Have Backed It podcast. As always, check out our Twitter handle, at Should Have Backed It. Our uh, best bets this week didn't go that well, so we won't talk about that too long, Big V. But usually it's not a bad look first thing on a Saturday and you can see who, who we think are the best bets of the day. Um, obviously, Herald Sun readers get to see Chris, Chris's top tips, actually top four across all races in Melbourne every Saturday, so that's uh, an advantage as well. But, um, yeah, please download or subscribe to the podcast and, yeah, send through some questions, more listener questions would be great. Big V's champing at the bit to, to answer some more of those. But all those listening, thank you for another week and we'll, um, we'll catch you all soon. And as always, good luck on the punt.